Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we take a few more of your voicemails. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast brought to you in part by Roman. The folks at Roman Immense Health Company are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. David, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. You're doing great. Are you excited that we're back with Buccaneers football this week? Yes. Can you feel it? I feel that there's a game coming up. Against Evan Winter's beloved Tennessee Titans? Yeah, yeah. That poor guy thought he was going to get a little reprieve in the group chat this week. No, no, sir. Titans week has officially started. Hopefully the Bucks are Tennessee ready. Tennessee I'm a little disappointed ready. we don't get Winston Mariota, too. I'm not. Why? I was never a fan of Mariota's to begin with. I never thought he was that he had what it took, uh, quote unquote, to, to be an NFL quarterback. Well, I'm not a fan either, but the way that their two head-to-head meetings went down with, with Mariota going 2-0, and I was looking forward to Jameis getting the opportunity to finally beat him, and now he doesn't get that opportunity. He has to face, you know, Brian Tannehill. That's not as fun. Well, I think both of them are probably concerned more at the moment of who's going to have the longer career rather than who's going to have the better head-to-head record. So Who's going to be able to save their job? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of them, like, only one of them has has the opportunity to save their job with their current franchise as far as I'm concerned. Like, maybe the only way Mariota is going to get back in there to save his job with Tennessee is if Tannehill gets injured. If Tannehill doesn't get injured, I don't see them going back to Mariota. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's tough. It, it's... But then again, we saw that with Tampa last year that, you know, it was it was Fitzpatrick because of the suspension and then they go to Winston and then they go back to Fitzpatrick and then they go back to Winston. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Mariota can get his job back. Well, I think the difference in those situations is you had a head coach who was desperate to keep his job and grasping at any um, lever you could possibly pull to try to you know open up the secret door to success. And I think Mike Vrabel. I don't think his his seat is nearly as hot as uh, Cutters was last year, so I don't I don't think he needs to. I, I honestly don't think that it's a situation where the management or the ownership or whoever is blaming Mike Vrabel for Marcus Mariota not panning out. I think that they're either targeting a quarterback in the draft because this draft does have you know quote unquote a very uh, impressive quarterback class coming out, um, or they're looking to see if Tannehill can be their bridge quarterback for a few years while they build up everything else to insert a rookie into later, or they're looking at free agency just like a lot of other people are at guys like Teddy Bridgewater. You love some Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I've always been a fan of Teddy Bridgewater. I've never thought that Teddy Bridgewater would be like a Tom Brady type or a Peyton Manning type, you know, the type of quarterback that could uh, throw the team solely on their shoulders and take them to the Super Bowl. But 
I always thought that he was a guy who could be a serviceable quarterback, make plays when you needed him to, but also make the smart play when you needed him to. And in Minnesota, that's kind of what he proved himself to be until he got hurt and then coming back. And now with New Orleans this year, he's shown the same thing. You know, when when the Saints need him to throw 150 yards and no turnovers and uh, let the defense carry the day, he does it when they need him to throw 250 plus yards or so with multiple touchdowns with no interceptions. He does that, too. So uh, I think, you know, he, he just he's he's shown that he's got a good head on his shoulders and. Uh, from a quarterback standpoint, if if you don't have the right head on your shoulders, it doesn't matter what kind of arm you got attached to them. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. I love Teddy Bridgewater too. We we've discussed that quite a bit the past couple episodes. But David, before we jump into the voicemails, you retweeted something today that I found to be very oh. interesting, and I don't know how many of our listeners a saw what you retweeted because Twitter's algorithm is so screwed up at this point i'm still seeing tweets for the first time today that were posted like 22 hours ago Mm. but mike sando of the athletic tweeted out a a list of the most wins against nfl teams that currently have winning records so these are the teams that have beaten opponents with winning records the saints are number one in the league with three wins against teams with winning records tied for second are the Indianapolis Colts, the green Bay Packers, the Los Angeles Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with two apiece. Mm. 13 teams have one win against teams with winning records. 14 teams have zero wins against teams with winning records. And that includes the bills, the Vikings and the Cowboys. Yeah. So when you when you take a look at something like that, and you you know we've spent the the better part of two weeks now, kind of kind of ripping into the Bucks because they're two and four, but they're uh, on top of that they're a disappointing two and four because they should have beaten the 49ers. they should have beaten the New York Giants. This is a team that at worst should be three and three possibly even four and two and when you take a look that they have the second most wins against teams with winning records in the nfl through seven weeks Mm -hmm. it, it becomes a little bit more frustrating but i was thinking about it and it's it's one of those situations where are we almost being too hard on them and not not looking at some of the the really good to great things that they've done or is it just a product of the last two weeks have dealt us this hand of undeniable negativity? I don't think you and I, at least, are being unfair uh, to anybody. We do a pretty good job of, of giving credit where credit is due. And we have we have a good job of, I want to call it holding people accountable because we don't really have that role. But from a, from a, a podcast standpoint or even a website standpoint, we when when someone needs to be called out for something, we call them out. And that's that's kind of uh, a badge of balance as far as I'm concerned in the media realm is um, something that you and I have talked about. And I think everybody at BucksNation.com has, has called a Jameis Hater and a Jameis Homer all in the same week. Um, I, I did it once last year in the same day. I literally <laughs> got uh, called a Jameis Hater and a Jameis Homer for the same article, um, which was interesting. So I don't think it gets any more middle ground than that, I suppose. I don't know um, where, you know. The the problem isn't necessarily that the team is two and four. The problem is that the team is two and four when they should be four and two. 
And that's happened for multiple reasons. It's happened uh, at times because of quarterback play, at times because of offensive defensive play, and at times because of coaching decisions. And so when those things happen, those are things, and, and Bruce Arians talked about early on the season, Bucks beating Bucks. When you're beating yourself, it's more frustrating than when you're getting defeated. Uh, you know, that's why, like, you look at teams like the Dolphins, you look at teams like uh, the Cardinals, you know, despite their, their somewhat impressive win uh, this weekend. When they're going out there and losing, they're getting defeated. They're getting beat. Like, other teams are going out there and imposing their will on them and saying, no, you're not going to come in and do anything that you want to do. When the Buccaneers are losing, at least in 2019, they're losing because they're doing it. They're, they're, they're cutting their own wrists. You know, uh, you look at the San Francisco game and you can point very clearly whether whether you want to say, OK, well, it's on Peyton for not running the right route or it's on James for throwing his Peyton Barber in the first place. Whatever. It's Bucks beating Bucks. When you talk about O.J. Howard tipping the ball to a San Francisco 49ers defender, Bucks beating Bucks, fumbling in the red zone, Bucks beating Bucks. Uh, and and it go, the list goes on. You know, you, you move to New York and Matt Gay missing the kick. You go to. Uh, New Orleans and the confusion, the the confusing game plan of, uh, you know, we're we're only concerned about what we do best, but we're not going to throw to Mike Evans against Marshawn Lattimore, who he's owned uh, in, in in their matchups, and you know the short time Marshawn's been in the league, and then you go to Carolina, where really it's kind of culmination of everything in the sense that the defense had some key areas where they needed to step up and they didn't. I mean, I think overall the defense had a really solid game. Carolina converted twenty percent of their third downs. That's great um, from a defensive standpoint, but Christian McCaffrey gets a swing pass and a defender, you know, linebackers out of place, defensive back slips and another guy goes for an arm tackle. Those that's a moment where the defense failed and it led directly to a touchdown coaching decisions come into question there as far as game planning, Rojo getting four touches. And then you have Jameis Winston who, yeah, like the, the, the turnover where he gets his arm hit. Okay, cool. Not his fault, but the one where he's forcing the ball, uh, to a struggling wide receiver in double coverage, eh, you know, maybe maybe don't make that throw. So that's kind of the culminating. Like this last time we saw the Bucks roll out was a culmination of all of it, and that I think is why the Carolina Panthers game was so disastrous from a coverage standpoint is um, because of the embodiment of all of the struggles. And James, you and I talked about earlier. I think when they were two and two, maybe you know, and we talked about like every game so far they've lost in a different way. And we're, we're seeing that they're not coming out and making those same mistakes. Well, in London, they made all the same mistakes that we'd seen them make throughout the part the rest of the season. Like that game is the ultimate symbol of regression from uh, certain defensive standpoints, from the offensive standpoints, from James Winston, from the coaches. That game was nothing but regression. And then we had an entire week to stew on it because they didn't have another game. So from, a, from an operational standpoint, it's probably a good thing that they didn't have another game. They'd need that time, step away a little bit, take a breather, take a knee, reset. From a media standpoint, a coverage standpoint, that was the worst time to have that game because that's literally all we have to talk about right now. You can't talk about the positives against the Rams, the positive against the Panthers in week two when they just came out and got their ass handed to them by the same team they beat in week two. So now when you look at it, the only positive this season is Los Angeles. Yeah. And it didn't have to be like that. All right. Well, with that in mind, David, let's go ahead and jump over to uh, to a couple of voicemails that our amazing listeners sent in. What's up, gentlemen? It's Kevin calling from Autumnal, Huntington, West Virginia on this early morning. 
I'm going for a little walk before I head to the gym. And um, again, appreciate your measured tones. I I too enjoyed the bye week. It, it, it was it was a little bit like you know it's a wonderful life. Like this is your life without the bucks. And I have to admit it was quite pleasant. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I took a nap watching some football. My wife and I went to a fundraiser. It was great. I'm not gonna lie. But I digress. My question is, uh, what do we need to see from James over the next 10 weeks to give him either a franchise tag or a workable three-year deal? The five-year, $150 million contract, that ain't that ain't coming down the pipe. Sorry, buddy. He ain't making $30 million a year. He ain't earned that. So what do we need to see from him um, in order for him to get that over these next 10 weeks? And um, I appreciate you guys adding a much-needed voice of calm, you know? A, a, a contemplative, reflective, measured tone to what is really turning into a toxic, hateful discourse. You know, maybe all teams are like this, but man, it is some hateful, hateful stuff. Some unhappy dudes are out there who root for this team. And I hope they find peace. I hope they find joy. And I hope whatever you feel Jameis Winston needs to do, he's able to do that. Because if he's successful, the team will be successful. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. All right, Kevin, thank you for the phone call, but you got to watch the language, buddy. No naughty words on the Locked On Bucks podcast. For future reference, please don't be dropping F-bombs. Um, okay, so I'm going to kind of work backwards. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to start with one thing, and then, David, I'm going to kick it over to you. I'm not sure if this is the the voicemail that you forewarned me about that involved uh, homework that you gave yourself. No. No. Oh, okay. Um, as far as how toxic the the fan base can be, I firmly believe that pretty much happens within every fan base. I think it escalates because it is the fan base that we are closest to. We are the most attached to, so we see more of it. Um but I, I can't imagine outside of the Patriots that there's a fan base that does not have some sort of group within it that is vile and pessimistic and wants to blow everything up and it constantly hates everything that the team does and seems to be one of those people that want to root for the team because of how much it angers them. They just enjoy that punishment. That's just the type of people they are. Um, but I don't think it's it's solely a Buccaneers thing by by any means. No, it's it's definitely not. I mean, um, what's his name? Uh, Freddie Kitchens is getting all kinds of criticism from the Cleveland Browns fan base right now for his uh, job as a head coach. And um, hold, hold on to your britches. They're talking about how he should turn over play calling to Todd Munkin and just focus on being a head coach. So I agree uh, all over again, right? Just in a colder place. So yeah, every fan base is, is pretty much the same or has a potential. At least I guess, I guess I could say uh, to be the same when the Patriots franchise eventually, cause it will come, there will come a day that the Patriots franchise is again towards the bottom of the league and doesn't make the playoffs and has a high draft pick and all this stuff. It will eventually happen. Those fans are going to be the same. They're going to be telling the general manager who to pick. They're going to criticize the pick. If it's not their pick, they're going to say who the coach should be there and tell the coaches what they should do. It's everybody. It's human nature, man. We we all do it. Most of us out here talking about coaching, talking about playing, talking about general managers, talking about owners, we've never done it. Um, I've never played in the NFL, never coached in the NFL, never been a general manager in the NFL, uh, never even worked in a player personnel department in the National Football League yet. 
I will come on here and I will give my opinion. Um, and just like so many of us will, every human being is the same. We all observe something. If you care enough about it, you care to take the time to learn some of the ins and outs and the nuances of it and become a smarter person. And when you become more intelligent about what happens behind the curtain, so on and so forth, you become more confident in your ability to deliver uh, coherent thoughts about what's going on and your uh, opinions of what should go on. Yeah, I see it. I mean, I see it all over the place. It's not even just in sports. Um, I, I see soldiers who talk about what they would do under fire. And uh, I've, I've heard guys say, oh, let a guy try to snipe me. Well, cool, bro. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just it's just one of those things that human being it's human nature. You know what I mean? We, we all do it. Um, so, yeah, every fan base has the potential to do it. And I'll tell you, uh, Evan can tell you that Titans fans are similar. I know for a fact that there are Browns fans who are similar. I live in upstate New York um, currently. I'm still trapped here. And Bills fans are similar Giants fans. I had a Giants fan the other day ask me if, if I thought the Giants should trade for Cam Newton. Every fan base is the same, man. Nobody should trade for Cam Newton. No, not, not at all. The Panthers should be forced to start him. <laughs> I don't know about that either, but... Yeah, I mean that's it's just it's fans, man. It's just fans, and if if we bring any 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 resemblance to middle ground or even keel or, or calm, you know, uh, if if you guys out there appreciate what we're saying, then we appreciate you guys too because uh, it's fun. All right, and uh, of course the other part of of Kevin's voicemail had to do with Jameis Winston and the contract situation. Well, that's going to play into our next caller. So let's go ahead and listen to our next voicemail, David. Hey guys, this is Dan from Orlando, and um, I totally agree with David about trying to get Teddy Bridgewater. I think that would be huge for us if we move on from Winston, which I'm totally for. Like, I've given up all hope in Jameis. He's inconsistent, like you guys have been saying. Also, don't think that we should try and draft a quarterback at all next year. We need to draft O-line, D-line, and get a veteran defensive back. Like, dear Lord, we need a veteran defensive back. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Out of the quarterbacks, you know, you guys talked about Tuo and Joe Burrow. Is Herbert one that would be even remotely good? I don't think so. I don't think any of them are going to be that good, honestly. But offensive line, I think that should be our number one priority in the next draft. Uh, So, yeah, that's it. Thanks, guys. All right, Dan. Uh, appreciate the phone call, but I'll, I'll give you some warning, just like I did with Kevin. Uh, for future voicemails, don't start with "I completely agree with David" because he texted me like bright and early this morning and was like, uh, "I love it when voicemails start with I completely agree with David." Like he got a real big head about it, so just you really need to be careful about you know stroking David's ego because he he comes across as just kind of a calm mild manner guy you guys don't see what i see he's oh, like geez. oh it's like super ego that i have to do <laughs> no i'm just playing i i had to i had to give you and david a little crap because david legitimately did, did text me i love when voicemails start with i completely agree with david and i had to laugh because He'll he'll text and say, we got a voicemail. I don't know if I'm going to play it. They said they agreed with you. So, yeah. (laughs) After we've been doing this, David, for I think this is our third year now. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we get to the point where we have to we have to banter a little bit. Hopefully we don't get to the point like uh, uh, Mike and Mike or Mike and the Mad Dog where we just don't talk to each other except when it's showtime because that could get awkward. Yikes. (laughs) <laughs> but I'll let you feel this one first since he was uh since he was buttering you up. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Dan. I, I also agree with me. So I think that your 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 opinion is very, very good one. It's a very intelligent decision. So great minds think alike. Okay, so James Winston's contract. Are you sure I'm going to go first? Because this is where all the math comes in and all the homework. And yeah, it's it, going to be a lot of words. All right, I will. I will very briefly say I agree with Kevin. I don't think he's going to get a long-term deal. I do still believe that it's going to be either a franchise tag situation or it's going to be like a, look, Jameis, you made a couple of steps forward. You also took a couple steps back. We're going to sign you to this two-year deal, and we're going to see where we can go from there before he gets the big money. Other than that, math away, Mr. Harrison. Yeah, I mean, I don't think James is going to sign anything shorter than three, uh, even though a three-year deal probably is really a two because the guarantees probably expire after year two, so they can cut whoever signs them can cut them uh, going into year three without penalty. But still, like on paper, it would be a three-year deal. Right. Uh, And as far as like the whole Teddy Bridgewater thing, I know again we're we're way too far ahead of this thing. But um, if Teddy Bridgewater were to come into the mix, I don't think Teddy is. So if if Teddy leaves New Orleans, which I still agree with you to a certain extent, I can see a scenario where Teddy says, "No, I'll stay in New Orleans." you know, loyalty and all that. And I'll, I'm going to stay here and replace Drew Brees. But I think there's gonna be some assurances that have to be put in place for Teddy to do that, um, including a, a clock. And I don't know if Drew is ready to put a clock on his own career yet. Anyway, if Teddy goes out there looking for a job, he's looking for a starting job. I don't think Teddy's looking to fight for a job. I don't think Teddy wants to go out there and compete for a job. That's what he's doing now. Like through six games, Teddy Bridgewater is competing for like, this is his resume for, next year and he's doing well enough that there if there's not at least one nfl franchise out there that says we want you to come and be the man then they're crazy then, then the nfl is just crazy so that being said if Jameis is here i don't think teddy comes here because i don't think teddy is interested in oh, okay you still want to see if he's your franchise guy and i'm just going to sit here in case he's not cool i'm good with that no he's going someplace where it's okay i'm going to be your franchise guy at least for the foreseeable future so Let's just put that. That's my opinion on that. If Jameis is here, Teddy's not. If Jameis isn't here, then maybe Teddy comes. We'll see. As far as drafting a quarterback, because uh, he did ask that question, James, I'll let you attack that before I get to all the math, actually, too. Um, I'm not completely sold on Tua as an NFL quarterback, to be completely honest with you, um, especially as like a number one overall draft pick. The kid from Oregon's not really on my radar. There's another kid out there, lasting a love. He's not really on my radar, to be honest with you, either. Joe Burrow is the best quarterback to come out of Ohio State in like the last five years, five, six, seven years, maybe ten. Um, and so, you know, he's he's a stud. We'll see if his trajectory uh, stays on the upswing. I agree. I'm not sold on Tui either. But then again, I wasn't sold on Kyler Murray. Even coming into the sea, I was not sold on Kyler Murray. And so far, he's proving to be much, much better than I thought he would be. I'm not saying he's great, uh. but he's much better than I thought he would be. He has done better be honest, than I expected, I, but yeah. Yeah, I, I was expecting unparalleled failure out of that guy. So maybe I set my sights too low, so I'm overly impressed. But I mean, I was expecting really just the absolute worst. Like somebody put Jamarcus Russell and... Mm. Tim Couch mm. and Gus Farad in a mm. blender, and it spit out Kyler Murray, and that's mm. what I was expecting to happen. That's and not fair, yes, Tim Couch. I had it's not, but if I had to choose between first pick bus between Couch and Car, 
I decided to go with Couch. Couch yeah. was put in just as bad of a spot as Carr, yeah. but I think Couch is the more famous of the bus. Definitely, yeah. But I also took a shot at my own uh, fighting a line eye by throwing in Gus Farad. It's it's funny because I was just talking to my buddy about Joe Burrow, and mm-hmm. you know, my buddy, the diehard Ohio State fan. But yeah, he brought up the fact that Burrow was an Ohio State quarterback and he transferred. And I said, well, that makes sense because he's probably the best quarterback that Ohio State would have ever had in the history of their school. And they let him go because he is talented and an NFL caliber quarterback. Well, they didn't let him go. He transferred on his own. But yes, they did start Dwayne Haskins over him, which I mean, Haskins fits where Meyer wants to do more than Burrow does. And that's just, you know, the the bottom line of it. Sure. Uh, yeah, what um, we're not going to get into too much Ohio State. So, yeah, as far as the draft is concerned, I think we both kind of agree. Like Joe Burrow is the top guy, too. We're both kind of iffy on everybody else to us is kind of elevated to the first round because of the position more than the talent. Um, I think we kind of agree on all that stuff. Looking at this team, they're they're not ready to insert a rookie quarterback. Like if if this team had the the infrastructure built around the quarterback position to be able to insert a rookie quarterback, they would be able to be successful with a 25 year old quarterback like this. Yeah. So uh, you look at like when Matt Ryan came in, the Falcons had at least some sort of infrastructure to put around Matt Ryan that helped him be successful the way that he was in the, in the early years. And then, you know, slowly but surely that whole thing has kind of gone up and down, but the Buccaneers are not there. So talk about contracts with Jameis Winston. Um, I honestly don't believe like you need this franchise needs to make a decision at the end of the season. Either Jameis Winston is your future or he's not. So to me now, and I, and I know like two weeks ago, I'm one of the guys who sat up here and said franchise tag is probably still on the table. It might be the way they go. Honestly, like, like seeing another horrible turnover game, you've either got to figure out that you can live with what Jameis Winston brings both good and bad, or you can't. Um, and you need to move on and find somebody else. Uh, like you, living in the middle of this is never going to make this thing successful. You've either got to commit or you got to get out. So to me, franchise tag is off the table because franchise tag is the epitome of, well, maybe we love you, but maybe we hate you. Kirk Cousins of Washington, D.C. That's a perfect example. So can James get a contract? I still believe that, yes, James can get a contract. Five years, $150 million? No, I don't think that's going to happen. It's just just not. No. Five years, 125 million. No, I will say that's the ceiling. I wouldn't say that's what's going to happen, but I would say that's the ceiling. More likely, you're looking at somewhere between 20 to 23 million right now, but 20, like 22 to 25 is probably the highest that it could, it could possibly get per year, which would be five years, 125 million. I still like kind of a three or four year deal, even at that same price tag, 25 million. But either way, so getting this voicemail, listening to it before the show, uh, getting getting ready for the show, I went ahead and decided to do a little bit of research, which is why I was actually a little bit late into the recording with James. Um, the last 25, 26-year-old quarterback that I could find that really, to me, kind of resembles what James Winston could be or, or, or kind of how his his situation is with this franchise is Derek Carr. When Derek Cuddy's under $125 million, $25 million per year, he was 26 years old. James will be 26 in January. Derek Carr was coming off of his first playoff appearance in his career. The two years before that, before 2000, so that was 2016, was his, his first winning season as a quarterback, his first playoff season as a quarterback at 26, uh, you're, what, what, 25 or 26 years old, the age that Jameis Winston is, right? The two years prior to that, the Raiders went 7-9 and 4-12. and 12. So 
from a record standpoint, right? We look at records and, and I know some people don't think the records are fair and all, but you look at a record standpoint, that's what quarterbacks are measured on by and large. The two years prior to the year before you got his contract are very somewhat similar, different numbers. You know, one year was a four year win. One year was seven. Jameis has two fives. I understand last year was kind of a bit, a little bit of a weird one. So then you look at this year. So the, the three years before Derek Carr got his contract, 2016, 15, 14, and you look at Jameis Winston's 2018, 17 seasons, 2016, Derek Carr had a 5%. And so because of the suspension, I'm not going overall numbers. Like overall numbers, Jameis Winston had less than 3,000 yards passing. Derek Carr had almost 4,000, but Derek Carr played all 16 games. Jameis Winston played 11. So instead, we're going to go with percentages here. Jameis Winston last year had a 5% touchdown percentage rate, which is which is pretty stinking solid, right? Derek Carr, in the year before he got his ex- his extension, got had a 5% touchdown rate. Jameis Winston last year had a 3.7% interception rate. Derek Carr had a 1.1% interception rate. Very big difference, right? 2017, Jameis Winston had a 4.3% touchdown rate and a 2.5% interception rate. The year before, in 2015, Derek Carr had a 5.6% touchdown rate uh, on a losing team and a 2.3% interception rate on a losing team. 2016, Jameis Winston had a 4.9% touchdown rate and a 3.2% interception rate. Derek Carr had a 3.5% touchdown rate and a 2.3% zero interception rate, which was Derek Carr's rookie season. Okay. So looking at those numbers, Derek Carr has hit 5% or Derek Carr hit 5% or greater touchdown percentage uh, rate in the two years leading up to his contract extension. Jameis Winston only has one at five, not even over five, but at five. Okay. Derek Carr only had one year leading up to his contract extension, getting 5 million or 25 million a year where he threw more than 2% uh, 2% interception rate. Jameis Winston has never thrown, or in the last three years, has th- has not thrown for fewer than 2.5%. When you compare those numbers, can you really tell me that Jameis Winston is a $25 million a year quarterback? Mm, not really. No. Look at 2019. Currently, Jameis Winston is throwing at a 5.5% touchdown rate which is pretty good. Still not as good as the year that Derek Carr had the year the Raiders went seven and nine, but it's still pretty seeing good. He's got a 4.5% interception rate. Yikes. Uh, right now. That has to be, <clears throat> that has to be so skewed. It is. I'm glad because you said of that. how bad that Panthers game was. before week six. Okay. Okay. He had a 3% interception rate. Remember, the three years leading up to Derek Carr's extension, his highest interception rate was 2.3%. Leading into week six, Jameis Winston had a 3% interception rate. He had a 6.6% touchdown rate, which Ooh. is higher than anything. There's a full percentage point higher than what Derek Carr did, even in his best season leading up to his extension. Right, So definitely some big growth there. That kind of shows you just how impactful that one incredibly bad game can be because that's how much it hurt, hurt his percentages, right? Um, and people want to talk about sacks. Listen, in 2015, uh, Derek Carr got sacked 31 times, and that was his year where he was a 24-year-old quarterback on a struggling, losing record team. Jameis Winston in the same situation, 24-year-old on a struggling, losing record team. So he got sacked two more times at the same age on the same type of team and threw a 1.3% fewer 
touchdowns per attempt ratio and through 0.2% higher interception ratio. So there are some there are some some parallels here to what Derek Carr has been through in his career. Now don't get me wrong, Derek Carr only got sacked 16 times. Jameis Winston got sacked 27 times last year. So I'm not saying they're exactly parallel, but there are parallels here that you can measure. Is Jameis Winston worth this much money or is he worth uh, lower than that? So to me, I don't believe that Jameis Winston is going to take less than $20 million a year no. and resign. I think that if the Buccaneers come in any lower than $20 million a year in a resign offer, he's going to walk and he's going to go out there and see if he can find something else. Um, I just, I just feel like that's what's going to happen. I have no inside uh, information or anything like that to tell you that, but I look at who his agent is. I look at the track record. I don't think they're going to let James Winston sign for less than 20 million. So what we're looking at is can James Winston get above the 20 million per year mark from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? And I would say yes, but here's where it's going to take. And I've got very specific numbers here. It's going to take a 5.1% touchdown ratio and no more than a 2.2% interception ratio. Remember, he's sitting at 4.5% interception ratio right now and a 5.5 touchdown rate. So in my projections, he could actually come down a little bit on his touchdown rate, but he's got to come down dramatically in his interception rate. Do those sound like reasonable touchdown interception ratios to you, James? Absolutely. So for Jameis Winston, so Jameis Winston has thrown 220 passes in six games so far this year which puts him on pace to throw 587 pass attempts through the rest of the year. Now, grain of salt here, I fully expect the ball in the running game, especially early on in the game, to try to take some pressure off of Jameis Winston, which might very well skew some of the some of his pass attempt numbers, especially when you're looking at teams against like Tennessee, Arizona. If the Bucs can get out and get a lead, I think they'll kind of squat on the run a little bit more than we've seen so far, and that's going to take away attempts, which doesn't help Jameis Winston. It actually hurts Jameis Winston because the fewer pass attempts he has, the fewer chances he has to get his ratios down, if you follow me. In order for Jameis Winston to finish the season on the current rate that he's on passing and touchdown-wise, so in order for Jameis Winston to finish with a 5.1% touchdown ratio with his projected attempts through the rest of the season, he's got to hit 30 touchdowns. Reasonable? I would say so. I mean, obviously that would be the career high for him, but I think it's doable. Well, if you're going to be a franchise quarterback, you got you got to get those numbers. In order for Jameis Winston to get a 2.2% interception ratio or better, which is one point lower than the worst interception ratio Derek Carr got moving into his five-year, $25 million a year extension as a 26-year-old, he can finish with no more than 13 interceptions on the year. He's got 10 right now. Not happening. Not happening. Zero... I, I stamp it right now with the James Yarko guarantee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely impossible. And I'll tell you, the year that Derek Carr got the Raiders to 12 and 4 into the playoffs, he threw 28 touchdowns and six interceptions. That's Josh Freeman 2010 numbers. The year he got them a 7 and 9 losing record, he threw 32 touchdowns. 13 interceptions. So we're asking Jameis to match Derek Carr's seven and nine numbers to get a contract extension in the ballpark because 20 million a year is, is 5 million less, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but it's still in the ballpark. 
of that contract without ever going 12 and four and having a playoff appearance. So James, we have all those numbers, right? I'm going to give you one guess to tell me a quarterback who has played the exact same amount of game James Winston has in 2019 and has those percentage ratios that we're targeting for James Winston. Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy two gloves, my friend. Yeah, that was an easy one. So to me, to answer the question, James Winston's got to have 30 touchdown passes this year and no more than 13 interceptions this year to warrant even $20 million a year from the Buccaneers moving forward. And if he does that, I think this team finishes even with this defense. I think that if he can pull that off, then the team finishes with at least seven wins. It's a tall order, but you know, it. I'll be interested to see. Let's Let's put a pin in this. And we need to remember, let's revisit these numbers in five weeks. This is these are his numbers through five games. Let's see what his numbers are through ten. Six games. I'm sorry. Let's see what his numbers are through through ten games. And then let's we'll obviously visit him again at the end of the season. <clears throat> but I'll be interested to see how they fluctuate. And if Jameis goes on a run like he did for those those basically four games where mm-hmm. he was playing really great football, if he goes on a run like that for the next four, you know, we, we could be saying, Oh, well, you know, Jameis is starting to turn around. Remember those numbers that we talked about heading into the Tennessee game. Well, mm-hmm. you know, these, the interception numbers have gone down. The touchdowns have gone up a little bit. It'll, it'll be interesting to track that through the rest of the season because it, it, it will, determine quite a bit as to what direction the Buccaneers are going to go in when it comes to if and how they re-sign him. Yeah. And and I mean, guys, and I understand that Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders as a whole have taken a pretty significant nosedive. I honestly don't put a lot of that on Derek Carr. I put on a lot of other things. But again, when you're talking about re-signing quarterbacks, you're re-signing them for what they've done and what you believe they can do moving forward with what they've shown you. If Jameis Winston can't bring his interception ratio down. I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't go through the history of quarterbacks and all this other stuff, but 3.7%, 2.5%, 3.2, talking an average in there somewhere around 3% of his passes are being intercepted. Uh, that's that's insane, man. That, that's a lot of passes being intercepted, and you can't build – I want to say you can't build a franchise around that. In the back of my mind, of course, is Brett Favre. Um, so, <laughs> you know, uh, there's an outlier to everything. But, again – if you're expecting your player to be the unicorn, um, not Chris Conte's Instagram account, but if you're expecting your quarterback to be the unicorn, then you're expecting a little bit much. Like that's like expecting Lamar Jackson to be Michael Vick. I don't think it's it's the chances of that actually panning out are slim to none. All right. Well, David, we are way over on time, but uh I'm I'm glad you did all that math homework because that was that was Really, really interesting. Really interesting. Well, hopefully people were able to follow it. If not, uh, please feel free to re-download the episode through separate platforms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do encourage multiple downloads from various, uh, you know, you, you got iTunes, you got Spotify, you got Stitcher, you got uh, Himalaya, whatever the case may be. Uh, Podcast addict. Um, but we are going to get out of here for now make sure you are checking out tomorrow's crossover wednesday episode i will be joined by locked on titans host tyler roland 
we are going to talk a little Bucks Titans. Uh, excited to go back and and get crossover Wednesdays going again. Until then, make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841, but watch the language and don't open with, I agree with David. Uh, make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day, and thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks.